All right, we're in uh, Hebrews 11. And uh, we're talking about basic, we're talking about leadership. Uh, this applies to really anything you lead, and you do lead something, even if it's right now just leading you. But you lead things, and you will lead things, and as you follow Jesus, is going to have you lead things, uh, family, community, work, etc. And so this applies to all of it, but we're really talking through leading at church, and we're even talking through more specifically leading at Griggs. Uh, and we're talking about leadership values. And so if you weren't here last week... Um, we uh, that's up on the uh, website. You can go listen to that. It's on the podcast. But we talked about leading through relationship first. So before we, what we're trying to do, and uh, you know we haven't always done this exactly perfectly. So we don't want to be hypocrites. We're not saying we've always done this, but we want to do this. Is before we ask people to serve and to give, we want to give them ourselves and have a relationship with them, uh, know them, not use them, take advantage of them, but really give to them. Uh, friendship, camaraderie, relationship, community, and lead out of that. So we're talk- we've talked about that, relationship first, leadership, is how Jesus led. Uh, he would sit at dinner with the tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, those who were rejected by the temple, and he would eat with them, if, for lack of a better word, hang out with them, and then lead them as disciples. And so we do the same thing. And so tonight we're talking about another leadership value, very important. Uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's the most important, but it is, it's up there. It's one of the most important things uh, that you can embrace as a leader. One of the most important values you can embrace as a leader. And we're going to call it, there's a few things you can call it. I'm going to call it this, optimistic faith. Now, you could just call it faith, because that's what I'm talking about, is faith tonight. However, I'm going to call it for the sake of this message, kind of for the sake of our context, optimistic faith, because I do think it helps paint a picture for us um, that will, that'll be useful. So as we lead, what we're doing is we're leading to the mission, okay? So what's the mission? Well, I'm sure that you all uh, could recite it by now, but what we're really trying to do is revitalize a church, reach a neighborhood, and then the vision down the road, hopefully, by God's grace, should he allow, is not to be a mega church. Like uh, by God's grace, I hope we grow to maybe a I don't and I don't know right, but maybe a, a couple hundred people or something. Like if we give it ten years and try our best and all that stuff, perhaps that could be the thing. But I'm not worried about that exact number. I'm just saying, you know, perhaps it will be a little. Later than and the idea is, though, we're not really looking to be. We love mega churches, not looking to be a mega church. We appreciate them though, especially since there's a few that support us, and we love them. Uh, but the idea is, we would hope, it looks like this is what God wants us to do, to send our peop- certain people, money, resources, time, efforts to other revitalizing churches in West Greenville, or churches who want to be revitalized and reach their mill village or their neighborhoods in West Greenville. That'd be cool. That's what we want to do, and we think it might even spread further than that. But anyway, the idea is, for now, the mission is worship Jesus everything centered focused on Jesus it's all about Jesus always about Jesus I hope that when someone comes in on a Sunday they hear the word Jesus almost ad nauseum right like just so many hundreds of times they hear that word Jesus on a Sunday morning because that's really what we're doing is worshiping him making much much of him 
And then we're trying to revitalize a church. We've been here since 1936. Got down to five members trying to revitalize, right? We are new glory days, new good old days, new energy into an old church that's a Jesus-centered church. And then we're trying to reach a neighborhood. You could say it a couple ways. We're trying to reach out to a neighborhood. We're trying to make disciples in our neighborhood. What that means is everything we do is done in the neighborhood. So we're not going to do an event in Simpsonville. No offense to Simpsonville. They do have a Cracker Barrel out there, so I kind of like the place. But I, uh, I, we're going to do the event here, right? And then we love Simpsonville, but they probably have a church. They're, they're all right. We're going to do our events here. If we go serve at nonprofits, at least on behalf of the church, now you're welcome to serve at any nonprofit that loves Jesus or what it, you I mean. We're, we're not saying you personally, but I'm saying on behalf of the church, as a church-sponsored function, it's probably going to be a nonprofit that, generally speaking, serves the neighborhood. So GOAT, uh, PMAC, Pomelo Achievement Center, some of these places like that. Uh, Soteria that helps with the, uh, return, the, the people returning to society from prison. We hope to be serving the neighborhood, that, like as far as our main efforts, okay? So that's the idea. That's the vision. That's the mission. And as we lead, we have to bring others on mission with us. And you might be bringing others on mission as a caretaker for the kids. You might be bringing others on mission as just a, a me- enthusiastic member. It might be as a musician. It might be as a teacher. It might be as a deacon. It might be in all kinds of ways, uh, group leader, group attender. I mean, there's, you can lead from anywhere in the church. Okay, and so what we're talking about is how do we get people to the mission and what really, more or less, what are we supposed to be like as leaders getting people to the mission? And one of the ideas is we need to be people of optimistic faith. Now, here's why I'm talking about that. When it comes to leading people to the mission, revitalize the church, reach a neighborhood, let's just be clear very few things are going to be clear. (laughs) Say, do you have any clarity on this? Oh yeah, here's the clarity. Very few things are going to be clear. Right? Reach the neighborhood. How clear is that? Right? Like all of it today? How? With what money? With what resource? With what time? Uh, How long do we try before we quit? There's a lot of ambiguity, if you will. There's a lot of, there's things that are not clear. And I want a show of hands because it'd probably be every hand. How many of you have been asked to do something at Griggs without a lot of clarity, right? That does happen from time to time. Like, do sound. Like, what is sound? Like, that does happen at our church. Um, You know, we've had that, lots of people have had that experience at Griggs, but it's really, it is more Griggs, this is a little bit more like that than most places, but it's really leadership in anything that matters, right? Raise a kid. Uh, Okay. Where do I start? Right? I thought I knew everything about raising kids when I didn't have kids. I see some parent having a meltdown with their kid in Target. I'd be like, here's what I'd do. And now I'm in Target. Well, Joanna's in Target every day. All right, I'm in Target once a week trying to get Joanna out of Target. And my kids are the ones having meltdowns. And I have no idea what to do. Just like going to a different aisle, pray, confess sin, beg God for it to be over. The idea is, you know, there's a lot of anything you lead that matters. There's going to be so much that's not clear day one. Uh, And that includes church. Um, And here's the thing. When there's a gap, like, all right, here's where we're at. Here's where we want to go. There's not a whole bunch of clarity. We do have some clarity, but we don't have 100% clarity. 
you can be pessimistic or optimistic. You could say, well, that's going to go bad. Or perhaps God's going to do something. Even though we don't know what, we don't know how, we don't know when, optimistic faith is, let's give it a shot anyway, because God is good. Right? We don't want to be people who see a lack of clarity, which will exist no matter where you're leading and, and when you're leading and how you're leading. We don't want to be people who see a lack of clarity as something to be pessimistic about. Right? Well, we don't know how it's going to go. It's probably going to go bad. Well, we don't know how to do it. It's probably because we're the worst. Well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen or how it's going to be funded or what. It, well, then it's probably not meant to be. That's called pessimism, and pessimism always kills the mission. There is absolutely no such thing as a pessimistic leader. Never, not a, like not a pessimistic Christian, godly, moving forward, holy leader. No such thing. Right? Unless you're leading people to despair, there's no such thing as a pessimistic leader. It always kills the mission because pessimism always kills momentum. It always kills momentum. Nobody, see, a leader has followers. Nobody follows a guy without any momentum or a lady without any momentum. It's like, what are you going to do? Fail. Uh, I'm in. Like, no, no one does this. What are you going to do? Well, we're probably going to be terrible at this. Uh, okay, I'm not going to sign up on the sign-up sheet. Right? That's the idea. There's no such thing as a, a good pessimistic leader. Furthermore, pessimism which I would say is really a lack of faith in the category we're talking about, dishonors God. It's it's like saying, well, God probably won't help. God's probably busy with something else. Or punishing us for that one time we said that bad word. Or whatever we did, which is probably far worse than a bad word. But he's probably upset, probably mad, probably taking away, you know, uh, his blessing and favor. It dishonors God. And I'll tell you this as well, 99% of the time, in my experience, pessimism or a lack of faith is usually a mask we wear to hide something deeper going on, something, something much deeper than just we don't think it'll work out. So like uh, laziness, okay, laziness, lots of times laziness, you, put, you don't want people to know you're lazy because we know that's bad, so I'm going to put on a mask called pessimism. Or really, what pessimists do is they call themselves realists. That's how you know you're talking to a pessimist. And so, like, I'm, I'm a realist, right? So this is not going to go well. No, you have a lack of faith and you're lazy and you're hiding it behind pessimism. You say, well, it's probably not going to go well, so I might as well not try. That's called laziness. That's all that is. You apply that to your marriage, goodbye. You apply that to your parenting, goodbye. We apply it to the church, goodbye doesn't work. Well, it probably won't work, so might as well not try. I mean, think of Noah put that in there. Uh, build a giant boat. That probably won't work. That is correct. <laughs> that probably won't work. It's not like we have some history of Noah being an expert ark builder before this day. I was like, well, no, you've been building random arcs all your life. I think you'll be fine at this. No, God's like, build a boat. He would have drowned with the rest of them if he was lazy. But he took hundreds of years and built a boat for seemingly no reason, because he had faith. It could be a mask for laziness. Why try? Well, you don't want to try because you're lazy. Or it could be a mask for idolatry of reputation. And this is really going to hit home. This is, really, this is where most of us 
probably fit in when it comes to pessimism. Truly, you're idolatrous of your reputation. You cannot bear the thought of even looking like someone who didn't succeed. You can't even bear the thought of looking like someone who didn't succeed. So if you think, perhaps I may not succeed, then I will not try, because if I don't succeed, I don't get the reputation of someone who's successful. You idolize looking successful. And in doing so, you succeed at nothing. Ironic, right? What do you do? I look successful. That's impressive. I spent my whole life making sure I looked successful. That is not what someone wants to think about on the deathbed, amen? But we are. We're terrified of looking like anything but a superstar. Hey, can you help out? Can you serve? First thought, I may not do well. No. That's called idolatry of the reputation. I may not be the best at it, may not be perfect, so no. I don't have clarity that I'm going to succeed, so I'll say no, so I don't look like I didn't succeed. And the person who does this has an idol. They're not worshiping a God who likes them, loves them, whether or not they succeed. Success is the act of giving it a shot in God's eyes. They forget that their reward is not what men think. Their reward is what God sees. That they forget that it is not about them looking good or bad. It is about God and working for Him and His mission and bringing His church and His kingdom where it needs to be. And so many times pessimism is a mask of laziness or idolatry of reputation, something like this. And it's bad leadership. Now, I will say this, a couple things. Pessimism can come from bad leadership. So perhaps, and I don't know, but perhaps some of you here are pessimistic. It might be because you've had bad leaders. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Okay, but bad leaders produce pessimists. So a leader didn't give you clarity, and then you didn't do great, which really isn't a big deal, and then they acted like somehow you were messed up. That's bad leadership. So if I tell Marin, right, for the first, and this is like sort of the first time. She's five, so she's learning certain things. You know, Marin, put your dish in the sink, right? And now she's never been able to even see the sink, right, because she's down here. So I'm like, so she just kind of tosses it up there, and it breaks, and I go, are you nuts? Well, guess what? The next time she has to do something she's not real sure about, she's going to think, it's going to go bad because I'm nuts. No, I go, well, you don't realize this, but the sink actually is kind of deep, and that's kind of made of, you know, whatever plates are made of, and that's going to crack, and that's going to break, and it's going to make a lot of noise. I forgot to tell you, there wasn't a lot of clarity there. Sorry. Bad leadership will create pessimists because they'll dog on people who don't do great when they didn't have any clarity. Instead of saying, hey, you didn't have any clarity, did the best you can, I think, thanks for the effort, which is what we're supposed to be doing. Leaders uh, should not dog on people for trying to make judgment calls in the moment. And some of you have suffered under the hands of leaders that have done that. You didn't have a lot of clarity. You gave it your best shot. And instead of appreciation, which you should have gotten, which Jesus gives, you got, how could you fail? And then you were rejected, and now you're afraid of rejection. And so you've become a pessimist to hide that fear of rejection. And I'm sorry, but we do have to 
understand that not all leaders are like that. And, and I hope I'm this leader. I hope our leaders are these leaders. But really, we give feedback, like, well, next time try this. But we got to be careful. We do not reject people ever, ever who gave it an honest shot and maybe didn't do a, you know, get 100% with a star on top and a, something like a sticker on the chore chart. Right? You gave it a shot. Good work. Try again. Never do we say, you know what, you're not welcome to serve here you know, because your, your performance was not polished. That's not what Jesus' heart is all about. But perhaps you have a background in a church like that, family like that, people like that around you. They were very performance-based, and they loved you based on your performance, and now you have to be a pessimist because you're wounded. I want you to understand this. At our church, well, I'm hoping, and not that we're better than anybody else, but by God's grace, I hope you can see we love you unconditionally. You can be the best kids worker, worst kids worker. We love you the same. Right, now, if you, you know, if the kids are constantly going to the hospital after being with you, we may have some feedback. But we love you, okay? We love you. And that you're, you're perform- we don't love you if you're a good performer. We don't love you if you're a bad performer, right? We don't love you if you can serve in 10 ways or one way. We don't love you based on that. We love you based on the fact that you're made in the image of God. But since there are bad leaders, we've created some pessimists. We need to work on that. We need to, you know, give people time to, deal with that. But here's what we don't do. And what we can't do is overreact and try to give everyone under our charge clarity, 100% clarity. Let me just tell you this. You should almost, as a leader, never give or pretend to give, really, 100% clarity. And if you're under a leader, you should never expect them to give you 100% clarity because it does not exist. It does not exist, and, and, and I know that we don't want people to be pessimistic, like, and I do this, when I tell someone, hey, we need you to help, and we need you to serve, okay, let's say, I don't know what it might be, let's just say, it's something as simple as, we need you to do trunk or treat, right, trunk or treat, bring your trunk, bring treats, and it's going to go, I'll be like, it's going to go great, and I try to give a bunch of clarity, so someone might say, okay, I will not fail, right, well, part of what I'm doing is, I want them to serve, and I, and I don't want them to think, Failure is possible. And really, though, that's a really harmless example. If you expand that to bigger and more important examples, really, you're just setting them up for what I would call empty optimism. So empty optimism, I'll call it, is believing that things are definitely going to go well because there's nothing unclear. There's no way it could go wrong. You have total clarity, so you know it will go well. Well, here's the problem, is that if you do have 100% clarity in something you're leading or someone you're leading or a position you're holding in the church, one, you are definitely setting yourself up for disinterest because if something's so clear that you don't have to use any of your humanity, your reason, your problem-solving, your talent, your energy, your effort, eventually you will just hate it. You know, there's two types of people who hate their job. There are jobs that are too hard, so you hate your job. And then there's jobs that are too easy, so you hate your job. Right? Like, you'll talk to people. They're like, what do you do? I work at a toll booth. What's that entail? Give me a dollar, I'll give you a, a pass. Give me a dollar, I'll give you a pass. Do you love it? I hate it. So, well, all you do is stand there all day. That's the problem. It's too easy. Hopefully none of you work at a toll booth. I'm really sorry. That's a very honorable way to earn your living. But anyway, the point is, is like 
there is a way to set yourself up. If you have 100% clarity, you're, you're setting yourself up for disinterest. Additionally, you're setting yourself up for disappointment because it does not exist. Right? I mean, down to, this, down to something you would say is simple. Um, I'll just, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. Julia serves with the coffee and donuts. You would think that there's a lot of clarity there. Did you know coffee runs out once in a while and you have to get new ones? Did you know you got to reimburse receipts and sometimes you lose the receipt? And did you know sometimes you get donuts for the normal amount of people, 20 people come, and then out of nowhere, 100 people are there. You're like, what in the world? Right? There's never been 100 people, now there's 100 people, and then the next week there's two people. There is no, no matter where you serve in the church, there's not going to be 100% clarity. And if you want it to be that clear, you're going to be disappointed. If you think it's that clear, eventually you're going to be disappointed. So we don't want pessimists, but we don't want to overreact and create empty optimists. What we want to be and to produce in our church are leaders who have an, what I'll call an optimistic faith. It starts with this. If you're going to be a leader, you are going to have to accept that total clarity for whatever you're up to, whatever you're doing, whatever you're called to, the mission, total clarity for the mission does not exist. Okay, just so you know, God doesn't even give us total clarity. That should tell you. So if you're expecting me to give you total clarity, whew, right? But even a, like a smart guy to give you total clarity, I mean, God doesn't even give you total clarity. Did you know that the Bible is, this is a big myth about the Bible, but if you read it, you'll see I'm right. The Bible is not, as black and white as you think it is. Now, there are several subjects on which it is black and white. Salvation in the gospel is one of them. There's others too. But there's a whole bunch of gray in the Bible, and it's written that way on purpose. I'll give you one quick example. Gluttony. Did you know gluttony is a sin that I've committed? (laughs) (laughs) Gluttony is a sin, right? Did you know? I'll tell you this, though. Do you know the, the... you are more likely to hear a message at a Song of Solomon than on gluttony in a Baptist church. I'll tell you that right now. Right? Gluttony is never preached in the Baptist church. But I, I will say, gluttony is a sin. But here's something really interesting. Gluttony, a sin. Okay, so this can, if you're not saved, this can separate you from God, just like murder. Gluttony is a sin. But the Bible never says, here's the caloric intake for gluttony. See, when is that, when, what chicken wing do I get to... And then that's, that's the gluttony point. Right? What, what, I'm at the KFC buffet. Which biscuit is the gluttony biscuit? How much do I have to eat to get to that line? The Bible doesn't say. It's not black and white. It's gray. And this is across the board. Lots of topics like this. And the reason is, is because God does not want you to be a robotic rule follower. That's why he gave us the law to show us that don't work. He wants you to live a life of faith in him. Okay, faith in him. So you are going to have to accept that nobody's going to give you total clarity except for on the most important things like heaven and hell. Okay. Nobody's going to give you total clarity. You have to also accept that if you have total clarity, you don't do it anyway. And this is hard for us to realize, but we don't even work with total clarity anyway. Adam and Eve had total clarity. Right? Don't eat that thing. God even made it a fruit to try to repel them from it. Right? Nobody likes fruits and vegetables. He made, he's like, don't eat your fruits and vegetables. And what do they do? They had total clarity, and they still crossed that line. Right? The idea is you don't do it anyway. So don't worry about clarity. Okay? That's the first. Start with this, that you are not always going to have total clarity. Okay? But right, that does enable you 
to live a life of faith. If you're going to be a leader, you have to move past a desire for clarity, grab something a little better, and that is faith. Faith is better than clarity. Look at Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, Here's how another translation puts it. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of the things we cannot see. So I'll put it to you a few ways. Faith is obeying God, even though you have no idea why he's telling you to do something. Noah would be a good example again. He's never seen rain or a flood or have any idea like what that looks like. But yet he's been told it's coming, and so he obeys, though he has no physical way to put it in a category for clarity. Faith is moving forward, even though you do not know everything's going to go well. You don't know, and you don't have clarity on whether or not that will go well. Right? Like, hey, I need you to do this for the event. Do you think I'll do great at it? Don't know. That's faith is trying it anyway. Esther, when she goes to the king, she says, if I perish, I perish. And that's why she's a woman of faith. She goes forward, not knowing whether it'll go well, humanly speaking or not. Faith is this freedom to give our actions and outcome to God because we know God and he gave it all for us. He gave us his action. He gave us his outcome. See, faith is taking action in the midst of uncertainty because you're certain of something bigger, of God and who he is. Like, Will this go good? I don't know, but God is good. We have a joint service coming up with uh, Calvary First Baptist Church on the other side of the neighborhood, December 8th. I have no idea if that will go well, but I felt like we should do it. Pastor Chip invited us to do it. He's asked me to preach. I'm already super nervous about it. I don't know. I might be terrible, right? Shocker. But I could be, right? And I'm still going to do it. Not that I'm a great man or anything. I'm just saying that's an act of faith for me. I don't know if I'll do good up there, but God is good. And he can use even crazy sermons to help people out. Will people get saved? I don't know, but Jesus saves. Will people show up to this event? I don't know, but Jesus will show up. That's faith. And that's what God wants from you as a leader. And that's what we want to be as leaders at Griggs. Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you had 100% clarity on everything you were asked to do in your life, you couldn't even please God because you would never have to trust him, right? You would never have to trust him. If you even, like, I mean, if you could say, like, like uh, before when we've had doubts on our salvation, you know, we're like, I remember uh, I'm thinking when I had my doubts a lot, I'm like, man, I wish he would just send me something in the mail that says, you really prayed it right, bro. Like, that was good. I'm in. Like, just some like, you know, you get a baptism certificate from the church. It'd be awesome if Jesus was like, I heard it. I saw the stick in the fire. You're saved. You're good. Right? I wish I got that thing in the mail because I can't see. Right? Now, faith is believing. No, no, no. Jesus wants to save me more than I want to be saved. Jesus is the forgiver. He is the, he's quick to forgive, able to forgive, good to forgive. And, and, and salvation is when you trust that guy. 
I trust you that you will not let me slip through your fingers, that you will not let this prayer, this earnest prayer to be saved, be just another motion I go through. I'm trusting that you save people. I'm trusting that you like me, that you have a home in heaven for me. I'm trusting you. If you had 100% certainty, you could never do that with God, and thus you wouldn't please God. It's, it's, it's not God's will for you to know everything. It is God's will for you to know Him. And there's a huge difference. Okay? It says here in 11.6, faith is believing that He is. That is a fascinating statement. That there is punctuation after that is so fascinating to me. It's not that He is, he is what? Just that He is. He that comes to God must believe that He is. And the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, when things are unclear, we don't know how to move forward, people start to doubt if God is even there. If he was there, wouldn't he show me what to do? If things start to go terribly wrong, we start to doubt that God is even there. Like, if he's there, why would he let this happen? And faith is this idea that we're going to believe God is regardless of circumstances. If our church burns down, we believe that God is, not if there's a God, how can you let this happen? We believe that he exists, that he is with us in the midst of this, that he is who he says he is in the midst of this. We got to believe that he is, trust that he is. And we got to believe that he's the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. If everything was always 100% clear, we would never diligently seek him. Have you noticed that when things go well, you pray less? Isn't that odd? That's my story. I have to write this down in my planner. Like, hey, things are going well. Don't forget to pray because you do that. And I tell myself, like, you do that, moron. I literally have that, not moron, but I have that written down. <laughs> right? Like, you, like, I have that, like, I know I do that. When things are going well, I pray less. Because if we have 100% clarity, we do not diligently seek him. The mess of uncertainty propels us to our knees, to his feet. Right? I, I think of Nehemiah, a man of faith. He hears that his city is torn down. They've been exiled. His city's been defeated. He's over there in Babylon or wherever with the king, and he hears about how bad it is back in Jerusalem. And he's from Jerusalem originally, and he weeps. And he prays for days, the Bible says, Nehemiah 1.4. For days he seeks God, while diligently seeking him. He goes to the king in faith and says, I need to go back and fix my homeland. And the king says, go. And he goes, oh, well, now i got to go fix it. How do you do that? How do you fix a city? I don't know, but he goes. And God's going to reward him with that opportunity. He diligently sought him. There's this idea that uh, optimistic faith, right, is, is believing that the unknown we're leading into, right, God will use that like he does for all things. He will use that for good. That doesn't mean it's going to go according to our good, our version of good, but it will go according to his version of good. That's called optimistic faith, that he's going to go do something good with your actions, even if you don't even quite know what you're doing, that he's going to do something good even if you fail, that he's going to do something better than you were even expecting. So a leader is someone who says, I know the mission, I know the vision, 
Okay, I can't get total clarity on how to lead this or do that or tell this person what to do or whatever it might be in your situation. I can't get 100% clarity, but here's the deal. I'm going to fill in those gaps the best I can. If I succeed, praise God. If I fail, praise God because I'm going to learn something. And perhaps it won't look like either. It'll just be me doing something. I don't know if it's going well. I don't know if it's going bad. And then later I'll find out that God did something bigger than I ever expected. I'll tell you this, though. As a pastor, I am never more proud of you guys. I'm always so, so proud of you guys. But I am never more proud of you guys than when you just give something a shot. That's when I'm like, I will fight hell with that guy. <laughs> like when they don't know if it's going to go well or if they're going to look like a superstar, if they don't, they don't know how that's going to be, if it's going to be good, if it's going to be bad, and they still go for it. And man, when you guys do that, I am so proud of you for that. I think that is faith. And if I feel that way towards you, think about how God feels because he loves you way more than anybody would ever love you. When you just give it a shot, and you act in faith knowing that, hey, I don't know if this will go good, but God is good, and he'll do something with it. And I really, I'm trying to do his thing. I don't have total clarity. God, you figure out the rest. That faith pleases God. Now, if you go through the rest of Hebrews 11, you see this is the chapter of faith. It talks about Abraham. No clarity. God says, go. I'll tell you when you get there. And he does it, and it goes well. Moses doesn't know anything's going to He has no idea that Red Sea's going to open up. No, he doesn't, it's not like he had like a thing in his back pocket, like some remote control. Like God's like, if you get an emergency, here's a sea opener. Enjoy. Like he, has, he gets up to the sea, and he's like, well, we're dead. I mean, that had to have run through his mind. God opens the sea. Right? He had no clarity. Daniel praise even though he had no idea he would survive the lion's den it's not like shadrach meshach and abednego knew they were going to survive the fiery furnace they had no idea that was going to happen and god praises them and then we start to go and this is my natural inclination what about the guys who didn't survive because there's a whole bunch of those stories in, in, in the bible did they not have enough faith and look what it says in hebrews eleven thirty-five. We're going to look at Hebrews 11.35b, let's say, the second half of the verse. Hebrews 11.35b talks about the guys who died, because not everybody survives the lion's den or the Egyptians, and it says this, and the others were tortured. It's like, hey, you never see that on a coffee cup, right? What's your favorite verse? Oh, Hebrews 11.35b. The others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. In other words, they didn't give up, even though they could have gotten out of the torture, that they might obtain a better resurrection that is an unbelievable statement at that statement the stars should fall the earth should just quit spinning the angels should sing i mean that is unreal like daniel got a resurrection out of the lion's den and into babylon and we're like that's faith jesus is like that dude died in the lion's den and got out to heaven Moses got to go through the Red Sea into the wilderness. That's faith. Some people died in the Red Sea and woke up in heaven. It was better, he says. Some people got through the fiery furnace and stepped back out at Nebuchadnezzar's palace. Some people went in the fiery furnace and stepped out in heaven. And God did not fail them. 
they had a better outcome than the guys who survived it. They're still in Babylon. The guys who died went to heaven. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That, that there was a, something better for them than the resurrection of the ones who came out of the, the, the guys who came out of the, the lion's den to be here. It looks like they succeeded. The guys who got out of the lion's den in heaven succeeded all the more. They had a better resurrection. And that puts us on the perfect ending note. How can we trust God? Resurrection. How can we have optimistic faith? Resurrection. The resurrection is the key. The resurrection is the cornerstone. The resurrection is the big ticket. You can believe that God will do something good when you give it a shot to lead for him in your relationship, in your friendship, in your family, community, homework, church, Griggs, you can believe he'll do something good because of the resurrection. That is the key to optimistic faith. You know how I know? Paul said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, we're men most miserable. We should be pessimists. If there is no resurrection from the dead, you have every right and you would be normal and good to be a pessimist because we're done, right? But since there is a resurrection, there is no other option but hope and optimistic faith that even if things go as badly as possible here on earth and somehow we ask you to do nursery and you die in there, which is possible, right? We ask you to run the bounce house for fall family fun night or are you trying to lead other people to run the food for fall family fun night and they all die that there's still even in the worst case scenario resurrection hope eternal life good bliss wonder jesus at the end of it all jesus had i mean he had to go through the cross and three days of death and he comes out the other side in resurrection and in doing so he ensures that we can be optimists forever because no matter how bad it gets there is resurrection see here's the deal Gideon was a lover of clarity God's like I need you to go to war and he's like okay well make sure this fleece is dry and I'll do it and it happens, and the next day he's like, let's make, sure the, let's make sure, let's make the fleece wet, and I'll do it. And I, you know, you're quick, I'd be quick to say Gideon needs too much certainty, too much clarity, but here's the deal. If someone asked me to go to war, I'm doing that fleece thing like 450 times. Like, all right, now make it on fire. Now make it snow. Now make it bigger. Now make it speak Spanish. Like, I'd be doing all kinds of stuff to that fleece, making sure, right? Because that's who I want. I want clarity. I hate having a lack of clarity in my flesh, but I love having faith. Here's the idea, is that he got all that clarity from a fleece on the ground, being wet and dry or whatever it was, then he goes to war. Okay, God gave us something a million times better than a wet fleece or a dry fleece. A resurrected king who said, all those who follow me right, will also have the resurrection eternal life. He gave us something much greater. He gave us the, I mean, that is the ultimate sign and symbol. And so what we can do is go to war. We can lead in the war and we can not know how to do it. We may not know if it's going to go well. 
you may not know if we're going to succeed, look like a success or not. But what we do know is there's a resurrection and that God is good. God will succeed. God will protect. God will provide. And when we act in that assumption, it pleases God. Jesus loves us. He died for us. He rose again for us. He's got us. Let's pray and be dismissed. Jesus, thank you so much uh, that you have given us eternal hope. That really we're pretty invincible in a sense because we're going to heaven. There is a resurrection. There is a last day. You win. And because you win, we win. And Lord, a lot of the stuff down here that we sweat, we're sweating small stuff. And we don't like it, how much unclarity there is. And we, so we become pessimists. Like, I don't want to do it because I don't know if it'll go well. Lord, forgive us for our pessimism. Maybe you're always up to something. And maybe you're always up to something good. Help us to align ourselves with that. Whether we know what it looks like to do so or not. Help us to get busy for you in optimistic faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to help decorate the church Sunday... We're doing that 3.30 to...